like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Another great guest for today's Song of the Soul. Cheryl Wheeler is a singer-songwriter who somehow slipped under my radar for far too long, though it's clear that others took notice of her talent well before me. She's been covered by such luminaries as Peter, Paul, and Mary, and country music star Garth Brooks, and even Bette Midler. As you'll hear in a few minutes, she's got a beautiful voice and heart and wit, so I'm sure you'll be adding Cheryl Wheeler to your music collection starting today. Cheryl, I'm delighted to have you here for Song of the Soul. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. You're in the Northeast somewhere, right? Yes, I am. I'm in Swansea, Massachusetts, which is southeastern Mass, just outside of Providence, Rhode Island. I think native, you were back in Maryland, and maybe you looked around a little bit more. What took you north? Why'd you go up to Massachusetts? Oh, I guess I was just seeking my fortune. Well, that's not really true. My father had remarried to the wonderful woman that he married after my mom passed away, and I had recently realized that I was gay and thought perhaps that wasn't something Dad needed in his new family right then, so I moved up to New England. So he's still back there, and you still got that connection. Oh, I mean, nobody in my family ever cared about any of that stuff, but I was young and wasn't sure yet. Dad is no longer with us. I mean, I'm 60, so he was 88 when he passed away. But the rest of my family is still back in Maryland, yes. On your website, CherylWheeler.com, you have some wonderful commentary about songs and bio and such. So I really have a feeling that I've gotten to know you from your website. That's not the usual case with most singers, performers. So number one, thank you for doing that. Number two, I believe that your first instrument was a toy ukulele. The instrument was, yes, in fact, I was 10 years old and I had just turned 10. And it was a plastic ukulele with three strings because the fourth string, you know, the peg was broken off. It was a plastic instrument, but it wasn't a, it was a playable instrument. And the three strings, I think, turned out to be quite a little blessing for a reasonably musical kid because four strings offers a little more confusion than three, and that three, you can just make a chord, you know. So I just tuned it to a chord, one, three, five, don't me so. Then, by just playing it open and then barring the fifth fret and then barring the seventh fret, I got the one, four, five chord progression, G, C, D, C, F, G, whatever you want to call it. Well, I didn't know about any of that stuff at the time, except that I listened to the radio all the time. And I knew the one four five chord progression, and I just didn't know what it was called. So I could just start playing it, and I did. And it, was, it didn't seem odd to me at all. I mean, I literally picked it up, tuned it up, and played Michael Rutherford Boat Ashore within a minute or two. But in hindsight, it seems like, oh, wow. But I remember that it wasn't, you know, any reasonably musical kid, I think, would have done the same thing. Well, from there, you went to a real uke and then to guitar, and I assume you probably have other instruments in your repertoire. Actually, the instrument that I'm the most excited about of late is the uke again. I got a little tenor uke a couple months ago, 
and oh my gosh, I'm just crazy about it. I've written two songs on it. I'm really having fun with it. I play piano, you know, like songwriter piano, and I actually was on the road with Jonathan Edwards once as his bass player, which is astonishing since I don't really play bass, but fortunately he wasn't looking for anything complicated. This is Route 5. I loved it. It was really fun. Well, according to your website, in addition to all the compilations of recordings that you're on, and there's, I don't know, dozens of them, you've got a dozen recordings of your own that you've put out. The most recent one was Pointing at the Sun, and you told me you wanted to start out with a song from that recording. Before you even say it, I, you know, Pointing at the Sun is such a beautiful song. I think everyone should learn it and sing it and pass it on. It's, it's just such a great way to start off. So you want to say anything more about that song? Well, yeah, I, I'm happy to talk about Pointing at the Sun. That's a, um, I'm glad you like it, because I like it too. And I, If I had to name the thing that I spent the most time contemplating, but I, contemplating might be a little too highfalutin a word. for the, you know, I'm, I'm more like Edith Bunker than a great thinker, I'll tell you that. But I am so fascinated by the, the mysteries of life. I think that it's only once in a great while that you can even get a grip on how great the mysteries are and probably never get a grip entirely on them, but I have no idea what we are or where we are, and I feel sometimes like, you know, a mass living on Mount Everest probably does not know that Mount Everest is there. And I feel the same way about our world and, you know, how vast things are and also how tiny things are, how great the mysteries are, you know, what is the sun? I mean, it's just astonishing, and like all of the time, Every unit of time that we have is based on how long it takes to go one time around the sun. It's not hard to understand why people would have worshipped the sun. And, of course, you know, we can't spend all our time contemplating the things we don't understand. We have to be involved, just like the mouse, has to live on Mount Everest and make sure he has food. But I think it's good to recognize how huge and how vast and how marvelous the mystery is. And that we just... I mean, some people feel that they do have answers as to how things came to be, but for those of us who don't, the mystery kind of is our religion. And so I guess when I was in eighth grade science class, and I was looking at a picture of, um, you know, when I was in the eighth grade, so back in the, like 64, 65, there's a picture of an atom up on the wall in the science classroom. There's also a picture of the solar system. And like millions of other kids, I looked at those two pictures and was like, well, wait, they're the same thing. If this is the same thing. Oh, what if atoms are solar systems and solar systems are atoms? And I think there was a time when serious scientists may have considered that, though I don't think they do anymore. But I fell in love with the idea. I, you know, I already understood that there were things too small for us to see, but the idea of me being too small to see something because it was too big just blew me away. So that idea is very much in that song, talking about the giant eighth grader and everything, which... I just am uh, so humbled by those mysteries and so fascinated and it's just wonderful to wonder, just to wonder about those things. Speeding, sailing, spinning through the firmament And the firmament is speeding somewhere too So beautiful the mystery we gaze aloft in wonder at all the pieces we can see At all the stars we're under And here on earth we praise what God has done Every church proclaims the only one And 
and elephants have lives to run And all the plants are pointing at the sun Sun from her latest release. And Cheryl, one thing that it mentions on your site about that song is at least part of it was written while you were in Minnesota, near and dear to my own heart. It's only 75 miles from me. What were you doing over in Minnesota? You know, working. I've written a bunch of songs in Minnesota. Actually, I wrote, let me see, two songs about Grand Marais. One of them I wrote this past September when I was driving up to Grand Marais from Minneapolis. It's called Driving Up to Grand Marais. Well, a song called Little Lonely Thing when I was in Minnesota. I've, I've written a bunch of songs in Minnesota. 
if people go to CherylWheeler.com and take a look at all the recordings that you're on, the 12 that you've done yourself and the dozens of other ones that you're part of, it seems to me that you've been part of every music festival, folk music festival type, that's been around since eternity. I mean, I think you must tour constantly. Or... A good bit. I do tour a lot, yeah. Do you have a chance to stay at home? I understand you have pets, and so how, do they travel with you or what? No, my partner Kathleen is here with the dogs, and once in a while she goes on a trip with me, but usually not, because it's if we go away in an airplane, we have to get somebody to stay in the house with the dogs, and you know the dogs don't really like traveling, but I travel... A whole lot. I try to take as much time off in the summer as I can and stay home. But I get plenty of time at home, too. I'm, I'm happy with it all. The way that I came in contact with your music was I had Holly Near on six years ago. And she shared Gandhi Buddha as part of the music that she had just released. And I, I fell in love with the song. Of course, I had to track down who it came from. I found you, and I found via your website, for instance... You've had covers done by Peter, Paul, and Mary, and all kinds of other, Garth Brooks, all kinds of folks have done your music. My question is, and when I mentioned this to my wife, she said, how could we not have known of her? How could we not have run into her? Because it's right up our alley. Why are you the great unknown in my life that I've only now found? Well, I guess, um, you know, I do work a whole lot on, you know, folk music circus, but I'm very, I mean... Circus, I said. I meant circuit, but I liked it. I said circus. I, I think that I'm, you know, I mean, I, I literally do wear, like, sweatpants and T-shirts to work, and uh, I'm not going to do anything different about that. That's just how I do it. And I kind of don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about the songs, and I don't want to be some special creature at my own gigs. I just want to be, you know, just a, I'm just a regular person like everybody else, and I'm kind of emphatic about that. So I think I didn't do. I mean, my poor manager, I, it has to have been a, no fun for him sometimes because I'm so unmanageable, I suppose. I just won't do a lot of the things that you're supposed to do to have a, quote, folk music career, unquote. I hate, I don't hardly ever do radio interviews unless they're interesting like this, where we're really talking about something. I don't get dressed up and I don't go to, like, those showcases people do to drum up business. I hate doing those. I'm not doing those. And so I just don't do that stuff because my dream in life was to... All I ever wanted to do was sit around and play guitar. That's the truth. Then all of a sudden I got, I realized, oh, I'm going to have to actually have employment of some sort, but I do not want to get a job. The whole thing about playing guitar in public has been because I don't want to get a job. And I do want to play guitar, so maybe I can make this work. And now, of course, I love doing my shows. I have a great time. I like the crowds. I like to talk to them, but I haven't ever really participated in the stuff that you're supposed to do to have a, quote, career, end quote, and I have just been lucky enough then to get to concentrate on having a good time and writing songs and trying to be musical and stuff. How did your family react to this? Is this going too far off the beaten path for them, or are they supportive of this? You know, it's funny, because I played guitar all the time, and yet I believed that I was going to be a teacher. It never crossed my mind that I was going to make a living playing my guitar, which in hindsight, I'm like, how could it not have crossed your mind? It's all you ever did. Believe me, it hadn't crossed my parents' mind either because they were a little, you know, like, what? And, you know, I quit college when I was about eight weeks away from finishing my third year. And, again, didn't really have a plan. I just was tired of doing it in 15th grade, you know. So then I started getting gigs at, you know, little places in Timonium and stuff. And then my father was constantly telling me to give it up and go get a job, which was hard for me to take. And 
hurt my feelings. But I understood his perspective, and I understand it even better now. And, you know, the day did come when he one time got into the car with me and said, Cheryl, I'm afraid your mother and I may not have been supportive enough of your music, you know. And, and here, this is the thing I thought I always wanted to hear. And I barely let him get it out before I stopped him and said, no, no, Dad, you did... You know, why would you believe that a kid could make a living doing this? You were just doing the, the job a good dad would do. You wanted to make sure that I had some other plan, some plan B, you know? So I've written a few songs about him. and Probably the one that I like the best is the 75 September's one. You know, I wrote that as his 75th birthday was approaching. You know, Dad saw so much change in his life. He was born in 1915. And so he grew up on a farm, you know, horse and buggy, no electricity, none of that. And by the time he was in his dotage, if he wasn't emailing himself, he was throwing comments into the emails that Ruth was sending. And I never heard him complain about any of that, you know, whereas I was already, by the time I was 10 years old, complaining that they were building a house in the field next door. And he just was so graceful in the way he handled things. And I, and I was so struck by the change that the guy saw in his life. It just blew me away. So the thing that's sparked that song, and I had fun writing it and made sure that it was historically accurate and everything. I was reading this really great book by Taylor Branch called Parting the Waters, and it was a kind of the story of Martin Luther King and civil rights. And somewhere in that book, Taylor Branch was talking about a group of black ministers who went every year to Martha's Vineyard for some sort of a conference or something. And the way he expressed that was he said they had gone there for 100 Octobers. And I was just like, oh, what a beautiful way to say time. You say 100 years, it doesn't mean as much as 100 October. So that really puts it in perspective. So I, I got the idea of writing a song called 75 September, and I told my partner, Patsy, at the time, I told her I had this idea. And she said, well, you have to write that song. And I said, I, I can't, I don't have any other ideas about it. And she called me up a couple of days later and said, uh, she was at work, and she said, I think I just heard that the Yellow Cab Company was founded in 1915. Wasn't that the year your father was born? And that did it. That triggered the song. The first line is in the year of the yellow cab. I wrote it in August. My sister came up to visit soon after that, as it turned out. And, of course, I was excited to have her hear the song, right? So I played it for her. But I knew that if I did play it for her, she would want me to sing it at the party we were having for her 75th birthday. And I didn't want to be part of the entertainment. Anyway, I sang the song to my sister. And sure enough, oh, that's beautiful. Yes, sir, you'll have to sing that at the party. And I was, like, worried about that, you know. I said, I don't want to sing at the party. And I was worried that I would become emotional, you know. So she said, oh, yeah, well, you're right, we wouldn't want that. <laughs> Why don't you sing it for him the night before, just in case? I said, oh, good idea. So the night before the party, I said, Dad, I wrote your song. And I, I sang the song 75 September to my 75-year-old father. And when I finished, he said, and now I'm quoting him, that's very pretty, 75 cent what? <laughs> so that just killed me. That just killed me. I was like, ah! And he loved it. And he loved that Peter, Paul, and Mary recorded it. Talk about what goes around comes around. I mean, I grew up running to Dad. saying, Dad, Peter, Paul, and Mary have a new record out. I need $3, which is what it used to cost to buy an album. And Dad would always fork it over. But I listen to Peter, Paul, and Mary records all the time. And there's no question in my mind that those records heavily influenced what became my eventual style. Then I write a song about my father, Peter, Paul, and Mary, here and record it. I mean, it's just so neat what goes around comes around. And um, Dad loved that they recorded it. I think that was, I think that was the turning point for Dad in realizing that maybe I was going to be okay and that I could make a living as a songwriter. In the year of the yellow 
great world war The third kid grandma had Came into this world On a rolling farm in Maryland When Wilson was the president As summer blew her goodbye through the trees A child of changing times Growing up between the wars Words rolled off the lines Bars all closed their doors And I imagine you back then With snap brim hats and farmers tan Where horses drew their wagons Through the fields Now the fields are all four lanes And the moon's not just a lane Are you more amazed At how things change Or how they stay the same and do you sit here on this porch and wonder how the time flies by? Or does it seem to barely creep along? With 75 Septembers come and go. Did the rooster crow at dawn When they got you up for school And would you tell me once again The tales of granddad's hired men And how they drove the old dirt road to town Cause now the fields are all for Are you more amazed at how things change Or how they stay the same And do you sit here on this porch And wonder how the time flies back Or does it seem to barely creep along With 75 Septembers Seventy-five Septembers. Cheryl Wheeler is here with us today for Song of the Soul. That song that she wrote that was performed by Peter, Paul, and Mary. Certainly, that that's got to be some kind of a high point to have them. Of course, Garth Brooks and you know Holly Near, all these people—they're no slouches. <laughs> You've been recorded pretty widely, 
Do you feel good or bad about that? It, I, oh, I love it. That Midler recorded a song of mine. That still just completely kills me. Oh, I love it when people... I mean, there's a lot to love about it, first of all. The, Garth Brooks, I had a question about that. You and he were on the same label at one point, and there was some recording that you had put out. This some Again, I saw this on CherylWheeler.com. A recording you had put out, they were going to promote it, but then they decided to drop you and promote Garth Brooks, and then he does one of your songs, and it's like, wait a minute, he's doing my song, but I got cut from first string? didn't quite go like that. There's a, there's a lot of that that's true, but the uh, sequence was a little different. Capitol Records signed me around the time, or be, I think because of the fact that Dan Seals, who was a great country singer, had a number one hit with a song of mine called Addicted. So the people at Capitol were very enthusiastic about me, and I was making a record with Kyle Lanning. It was a great time. I loved that record, loved working with Kyle. That's where I met my manager, Tony. I loved it all. At some point in the time that we were making that record, you know, everybody at Capitol got fired and all new people came in, which happens a lot at record labels. So then the new people at the label, they weren't unkind. They were very nice, but I knew very well that I was not a fit for a country label. I was, you know... So, but I, they were real nice and everything. And I think it was sometime after that that Garth Brooks came along. And he's an incredibly nice man. And he took a song of mine called If It Were Up To Me that is a... I'll talk about that song in a minute. He took kind of the litany part of that song. It's all just one long litany. And interspersed it with bits of that song. Come on, people, let us smile. You know, that song, everybody get together, try to love one another right now. So he mixed those two songs together to come out with a little different recording than my song. And my song, the one if it were up to me, was written right after the Jonesboro, Arkansas school shooting, which was before Columbine. And it was a couple of young boys, maybe one was 13, who had this plan that they were going to have somebody pull the fire alarm at their school. And then when the kids filed out, they were going to shoot and did shoot some of the girls. So, of course, there was this huge national discussion afterwards as to why this happened. And I was, just as we all were, horrified. And I was actually walking around outside on my deck crying. I was so upset because I thought it happened because the boys had guns. That's why it happened. If they had had knives or rocks or sticks, it wouldn't have happened. So I feel so frustrated sometimes with the gun rights people because... I think their arguments are ridiculous, you know, that guns don't kill people, people do. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. People with guns kill people. And the idea that that we can't keep guns out of the hands of our children, you know, I think if our society makes it for another thousand years, boy, they're going to look back at this period and think, wow, those people were among the craziest people that have ever lived in the universe. They let their children take guns to school and kill one another. They did that. And they did that because a couple of them insisted that they had the right to. So it's a nasty thing because, unfortunately, I, mean, I know very well all gun owners are hardly in fa- I'm sure no gun owners are in favor of children having guns. You know, it's a tough situation. and It's not the gun owner's fault. But I was so upset with that and the way those kids had gotten those guns. They broke into... I mean, actually, I know they broke into the grandfather's cabin or something. It's the grandfather's fault. He had them locked up, but... I just felt pretty strongly that, um, so in the song, I just, I just li- named this litany of all the reasons that people had suggested why it might have happened, and then I ended up by saying it over up to me, I didn't believe it done. 
Maybe it's the movies, maybe it's the books, maybe it's the bullets, maybe it's the real crooks, maybe it's the drugs, maybe it's the parents, maybe it's the colors everybody's wearing, maybe it's the president, maybe it's the last one, maybe it's the one before that, what he done, maybe it's the high schools, maybe it's the teachers, maybe it's the tattooed children in the bleachers, maybe it's the Bible, maybe it's the lack, maybe it's the music, maybe it's the crack, maybe it's the hairdos, maybe it's the TV, maybe it's the cigarettes, maybe it's the family, maybe it's the fast food, maybe it's the news, maybe it's divorce, maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's the lawyers, maybe it's the prisons, maybe it's the senators, maybe it's the system, maybe it's the fathers, maybe it's the sons, maybe it's the sisters, maybe it's the moms, maybe it's the radio, maybe it's road rage, maybe El Nino, or UV rays, maybe it's the army, maybe it's the liquor, maybe it's the papers, maybe the militia, maybe it's the athletes, maybe it's the ads, maybe it's the sports fans, maybe it's a fad, maybe it's the magazines, maybe it's the internet, maybe it's the lottery, maybe it's the immigrants, maybe it's taxes, big business, maybe it's the KKK and the skinheads, maybe it's the communists, maybe it's the Catholics, maybe it's the hippies, maybe it's the addicts, maybe it's the art, maybe it's the sex, maybe it's the homeless, maybe it's the banks, maybe it's the clear cut, maybe it's the ozone, maybe it's the chemicals, maybe it's the car phone, maybe it's the fertilizer, maybe it's the nose rings, maybe it's the ends, but I know one thing, if it were up to me, I'd take away the guns, I'd take away the guns. I take away the treasure from Cheryl Wheeler, if it were up to me. I mentioned that, by the way, Cheryl, to a support committee I have. I'm Quaker, and part of the way that I do this as a spiritual calling, this radio program, is I have this committee I meet with every month or two. As soon as I mentioned a couple words from the song, right away, one of them popped up. Oh, she's my favorite. You're going to get to interview her, you lucky dog. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. One of the things that's kind of interesting for me, I I don't know a whole lot of your music. I, I probably listened to 20, 30 songs that you've done. But the driving rock hard edge to it seems so different from so much of what I know. Usually you have a way of transporting us with both funny and with really serious moving songs. And that one, it sounded like you were on your edge, that it had really taken you to your edge. Well, I was. Like I said, I was literally walking around pacing I think it might have been back before I quit smoking, so I probably was smoking a cigarette. And just pacing around and, and really so upset at this discussion about well, what happened because of this, it happened because of that. And I, I wrote the song real fast, and I didn't put any music to it at first. I was just getting, the, you know, I just had this little rhythm thing going and they, this whole litany. And I was thinking I would put music to it later, but then when I was finished it, I thought, no, it's too, it's too much information to try to put music in there, too. So... Mostly it's just a spoken thing. And then Ben Wish, the producer, was the one who put all that, I think, really cool guitar and drum stuff on it. Well, it's its own treasure. Can I ask you a little bit about your religious, spiritual background? I understand you're not affiliated with anyone now. Is that how you were raised? Or No, I was raised going to a Methodist church, which I enjoyed a lot. I loved all our church activities. We were very active in our church. And I, of course, never wanted to go to church on Sundays, but we we did almost every Sunday, and we went to a 
you know, every church breakfast they ever had and Thanksgiving breakfast. We I went to all the church dinners and breakfasts and all that stuff. We went to a camp for a weekend that I loved that was not particularly churchy. It was just the church crowd, and I loved the church crowd. And my parents belonged to the uh, Friday Night Bowling League from the Methodist Church, and the bowling alley was the first building. I lived in a rural area, but if you walked in one direction, you'd walk toward town, and the bowling alley was the first building you'd come to. So I used to like to go down there when they were bowling with the church league. Sometimes I'd substitute or just hang out with the people. I knew everybody and liked everybody. And, you know, we never got religious enough to start hating people. That's the that's the thing with my religious beliefs. But as I got older, I remember when I was 21. No, I was older than that because I think I lived up here now. But whatever it was, I had gone back to church for some reason with my family. And there came the part of the service where you stand up to say the Apostles' Creed, you know, that I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, Maker of Heaven, Earth, that thing. And so I stood up to the rest of the congregation, but I didn't say it. I just stood there, and I'd never done that before. And I had this thought in my head, which just cracked me up. I said, I'm not going to say this because I'm not sure I believe it. And God would really be mad if you lied in church. And so that cracked me up, because on the one hand, I don't believe it, but on the other hand, I'm thinking, apparently I do. But I would say now, at 60, that I don't, um, I think the model of God that I have heard from religion is, doesn't seem likely to me. And I also realize that what seems likely to me is about as important as what seems likely to an amoeba. It doesn't really, I don't think it matters whether I am whether I have a firm picture in my head of whether there's a God or who or what a God is, I think it matters how I treat with my fellow man. I think it's more, you know, I, one time I heard my father say, the most important aspect of any religion is man's relation to man, not man's relation to God. And that really struck me as being just lovely. And, and I believe that. I, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time fretting over the things I don't know, but I am going to try to lead a decent life and be kind and appreciative. And I can say amen to that, sister. Thank you. Where have you gone afterwards? So uh, maybe you visited Methodist Church when your father was still alive, but what what have you done since? I've never had any religious affiliation. When I was in my late teens, early twenties, I hung out with a lot of Baha'i people, and that was a pretty. They were a pretty cool crowd, and I think they still are. I like the Baha'is a lot, but no, I don't um, have any need to. You know, I'll tell you. I went to a church. That's right. I forgot about this. After nine eleven. I just went to some whatever church was around here in my hometown and just to sat there in the sanctuary and just because that's where I needed to be. I asked my father why he continued to go to church and not why he continued to go to church, but what he whether what he believed and he said he didn't really get into what he believed because I think he probably didn't have any specific beliefs either, but he said he felt it was important to feel reverence, and I loved that, and I think it's important to feel reverence, but I don't think it matters where you are when you feel it. You can feel it in your car, you can feel it walking around, and you know. I'll tell you, I think the right-wing, super-duper Christians have really hurt religion. And I think you can see this with, like, Tim Tebow, because so many people are so negative about Tim Tebow. And people saying, can you believe him kneeling down and thanking the Lord? And I'm not at all offended by that. Whoever you are in life, if you have a great success, if you're a athlete or an actor or a singer or a mother or a father, there's nothing wrong with taking a knee and thanking whatever. You don't have to know what you're thanking for feeling grateful, for feeling like, oh boy, thanks, that that really worked out beautifully. Fine with me if Tim Tebow feels grateful to the powers that be. But I think that the, the extreme religious people who I think are using religion as an excuse to hate people 
have heart religion. They have more and more people now are of the opinion that if you run into a religious person, they're a crazy person. And that's not true, of course. We all know that. For the most part, you run into religious people all the time, but they're not talking to you about it any more than they're talking to you about what aspirin they're taking because it's, no, it's not anything they need to talk to you about. And it's too bad that the religious right has done this to religion because religion doesn't have to be and is not all crazy people. Again, I got to say, amen, sister. And I hope that's not a mixed metaphor to say amen when you're saying <laughs> it don't have to be church. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we could talk about this and we're very much on the same track here. At the same time, I'd like you to sing us some more music. So you got something else for us to listen to? Well, let's do some animal songs because I'll, I'll first I'll, let's do a cat song. So, so I've written three songs about my cat, but we'll, do, we'll talk about white cat. I wrote a lot of songs about Penrod, and he's no longer with us, but all of the song, Penrod songs just came from out of nowhere and just felt like they were zapped into my head, and, or, you know, as if I were channeling Penrod, particularly that one. It was like I felt like I was channeling Penrod, like if I turned around, he was going to be staring at me, sending me vibes. And Penrod was a, a very, uh, the least fastidious cat I have ever met. He was a Maine Coon cat, and he was always just a complete slob. In the summertime, he would walk in the house with, like, slugs stuck in his fur and stuff. And he was just so gross and disgusting. And he was just the most adorable guy. And I had the best time writing that song. It kind of came from out of nowhere. And then I spent a long time with it because it was sort of mostly spoken. And it was inspired by all the very cool hip-hop and rap music. And that is the most fun kind of song to write, a silly little cat song. I was a white cat once. But when I roll around, I get all gray and brown And it does not make sense To waste a busy day licking the dirt away And I have staff for that Sent here to serve a cat I let my fur get gray And then I dock their pay It's a brand new morning as I stretch and rise Amble over to the table Little nibble on the kibble Shred a little sofa as I open my eyes Yes, I got ratted, matted, messed up hair. This verbal furball does not care. I want to be the lord of the bees. I saunter and I do what I please. So if you need to see the key to be ungroomed, you just stay tuned to this main coon. I was in the garden, taking the sun, checking out the bugs. Must have rolled on one. So I got this slug bug stuck in my fur real good. Didn't really mind, just a little bit of slime. I'd find it later, you know, scratching my back. Big lead I saved it, make a nice little snack I went inside, I swear the staff went insane Running with the comb and scissors, screaming my name But I give them the quick slip, I don't make a sound I get onto the outfits and roll all around My fur looks bad to me, all gray and askew I think my staff should be displaying it too And they got this two-bit sand bed they want me to use Sometimes I don't mind, sometimes I refuse Hey, I am me, I'm free Independence rocks, this ain't no new craze Find ways to think outside the box I'm really messy, hey, hey I like to be And there's a testy old inside of me The stairs are working, no play Wasn't meant to be They sacrificed a feng shui And they're sure to be I'm really messy, hey, hey I like to be And there's a testy old inside of me The stairs are working, no play Wasn't meant to be They sacrificed a feng shui And they're sure to be I was a white I was a white cat, I was a white cat once. 
You're listening to Song of the Soul. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, for this Northern Spirit Radio production. Our website is northernspiritradio.org, and on the site you'll find our archives the last six and a half years. You're going to find links to our guests, and you'll find a place to post comments, and please do help us to know you better. Again, northernspiritradio.org. And Cheryl Wheeler's here with us today. That song was White Cat, about her cat, Penrod. One thing I had when I thought about the white cat, knowing your other comments about religion and conformity and so on, it seems to me that maybe Penrod was your alter ego, or maybe he's a good metaphor for your dealing with religion or just traditional society in any case. It's like, no, I'm going to wear my sweatpants and the sweatshirt. And so. You're right. Maybe you're right. Penrod maybe taught me that. Well, it's like that Susie Becker book, All I Need to Know I Learned from My Cat. So, yeah. <laughs> There it is. We'll keep us going on some more music. We haven't got too much time left here. Okay. I'll talk about another animal song. How's that? We don't even have a cat anymore, which I can't believe. We have, we have two dogs, and I've always had dogs. We don't have cats because we have such a... We have a big rock right outside the window that I'm looking at right now, and the pudding stone, which is a New England kind of rock with lots of pits and holes and stuff in it. And we keep it full of seed all the time and full of squirrels and birds. And so, you know, we we haven't had a cat since the last one died because we don't want to stop using that rock. But we still have dogs. Right now I have a Jack Russell Terrier and a Chinook. And they are, luckily for me, the greatest two dogs that ever lived. I've always been lucky. I've always had the greatest dog that ever lived. And one of the songs that I uh, like to do still a whole lot and gets requested a lot is a song I wrote sort of about me and sort of about my border collie called Howl at the Moon. I was sitting in my living room and my little, my uh, border collie, James, was asleep at my feet and there was a bright moon outside and I was looking at it and here came this little song from kind of out of nowhere. And and I was saying in the song, I was looking at him saying, boy, you know, if, if I could do what you do, I would. If I could be a dog, I was kind of feeling like I would just be like you and I would just howl at the moon and, you know, and I would sleep the way you sleep and dream the way you dream. And, and I talked in the song about how much I loved him. And by the end of the song, I realized I am howling at the moon. If I were maybe a wolf or a dog I wouldn't have to speak, wouldn't have to talk Just eat my dinner and go for a walk And howl at the moon And if I were laying there just like you Or curled up the way dogs do I'd dream that dream that you're dreaming too and howl at the moon Howl at the moon Howl at the moon And if I could carry your black and so sound, wake so nice. I'd keep real close to my old advice and howl at the moon. Oh, you know something I don't know. You go places I can't go. You lift your head. 
keep you close, oh I like you near. I'll touch your head and pull your ear and watch you resting while I sit here and I'll at the Astounding music from Cheryl Wheeler. Her website is CherylWheeler.com. You really want to take her in at a concert. The experience of Cheryl Wheeler is a different experience than what you get at most concerts. You're getting a real person. This isn't a package that's being delivered to you. That song was Howl at the Moon. And Cheryl, one of the things you comment on your website about that, and uh, I apologize if this is intrusive at all, you wrote it after your breakdown, Midlife Crisis. That's right, yeah. And it made real sense to me because I know that somehow the way we get so wrapped up in the pressures of our society, the stuff we take on ourselves, the shoulds and the demands and the worries and the obsessions, mm-hmm. and a dog can just sit there. And, and by the way, those attitudes are really American culture. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, and I observed the Africans who I lived with and who were good friends and so on could just sit and be in a way that we find completely unacceptable here, and which dogs can do. Dogs are, dogs are beautiful with that, yeah. And dogs can bring you out of yourself. And dogs can, I mean, we are privileged beyond the telling to have the relationship we have with those creatures. One last song I think we can squeeze in here. You want to give us one more? Yeah, we'll talk about um, Music in My Room, which is a pretty old one of mine. And I just, just because I I owe everything to music and how much I love music, I started playing, you know, when I was very young. And I bought my first 45 when I was in the first grade. I was six years old. It was uh, Lovey Dovey by Buddy Knox. You know, I was into music as as soon as I could be. I had a little radio by my bed and I'm sure my parents didn't know it. I would lie there all night listening. You know, not all night, but way long after they thought I was asleep. I would just be listening. I loved music so much. And that song, Music in My Room, is just about... But it was everything to me. It was everything. Just getting to play records. And I loved when my parents would go out, like on a Friday night, they'd go down to the, the church late, and my sister would go out. And sometimes I'd go out too, but I loved staying home. Because then I could play the same song over and over on the record player, on the piano, on the guitar. And I loved the solitude of just being lost in music and lost in the music in my room. And that's, that's pretty much what that song's about. And I think there's you know, millions of kids out there today that are still feeling that. And lucky them. Well, we'll go out with Music in My Room by Cheryl Wheeler. Cheryl, it's just a treat to have you here. And I really have just been so enriched by starting to get your know your music. And there's a lot more ahead, I know, for me. I thank you for Gandhi Buddha, which was got me started on this track. 
and I thank you for being yourself and doing music in a real way. It's so nice to not have things prepackaged. You're an inspiration to us. Thanks for joining me for Song of the Soul. Thank you very much. Music in my room, Cheryl Wheeler. In my secret hideaway I would play all night So if you go out Hope you don't want me to I've got a rendezvous With a stack of 45 Put those records on Up in my room Trying to find the chords Learning all the words To all my favorite songs I love to hear those voices talking right I know I've played this one a hundred times And I know the songs will end too soon I'm listening to the music in my room Up in my bed By the radio Kept it turned so low Listening in the dark Closing my eyes Whispering along Waiting for the song that always hit the mark I counted twos and fours instead of sheep I sailed across the Mersey in my sleep And I knew the songs would end too soon When I listened to the music in my Something to take with me where I went Secret and seductive in my ear Oh, wondering at all those hours spent Lost in something I could only hear Saturday night, always here and gone Sunday comes along Friday seems so far Sitting in school Grooving in my chair Tap the desk and stare Dream of my guitar I drifted off in waves of rock and roll And I wondered if I had a rubber soul And I knew the songs would end too soon When I listened to music in my
The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy, let in the light, it will heal you, and you can feel you, and sing out a song.